Hi, everybody. I've been gone for a couple of weeks for those of you that didn't miss me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I missed you so much. What a, what a wonderful thing to go away and to realize that you'd rather be here than any place else on the face of this good earth. I missed you more than words can express, but I want to say first and foremost what a blessing we had in the last two weeks to have uh, Rob Selleck share the, the gospel on the first week I was gone, and then David Briggs thereafter. You know, I, I told David this last night. He was in church, and Rob is back there. If you want to thank Rob right now, please do. Thanks, brother. <laughs> I told David what I'm going to tell you. I, I don't, I, we're, we're not a great, big, big, big church, but we're a wonderful church. And I wouldn't trade <clears throat> the preaching that we have at this church for any church in the United States of America that we have from within, from the gentlemen that, that God has so blessed us with to be able to, to fold out the Word of God and to present it to us in such a passionate in such a very clear uh, and, and way. I, uh, I was here last week. I, I, Kay and I got home around, I forget, Wednesday or Thursday. It doesn't really matter. But we came to church on the weekend, and I got to listen to, to David twice. And uh, the first time in here, in, in the tech room, I, I sat back there. No, Kay and I came on a Saturday night. Then I came Sunday, and, uh, and I listened in the tech room. And then I went and listened in the the cry room. If you want to know a great place to listen to a message, it's in there. You can kick back, put your feet up. It's really pretty comfortable. I don't think it'll hold all of us, but it is a great little, it is a great place. And I, I didn't cry at all almost during the service. I am so glad to be back. We left off in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 9. What a tremendous place to leave off. I didn't realize it. Uh, God is such a um, an, an amazing, uh, he brings things together in his wonderful time. If you truly do trust him, as far as preaching the word goes, if you truly do trust him, it's amazing to me how he brings things together at just the right time. He did that for us Christmas. He does that normally for us on Easter. And, and, and usually we don't have to hunt and peck and find a, a special place in Scripture to preach those messages concerning those seasons of the year. And in this case, we finished Romans chapter 8. And if you remember, when we laughed, left off, Paul showed us how strongly we are secure and assured in our faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason he did that to us is so that we would feel the security of who we are in Christ so that we could take it into the world and, and not hesitate and, and not be ashamed, as Paul says, of the gospel. That that we have the right of, of being a child of God to represent him in and through our lives. And so Paul, if you remember, let's just go back over it just a little bit. He asked a rhetorical question in the 8th chapter in the 35th verse. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gave a, a short list of trials that may come our way that, that might try to separate us but cannot. And then he answers this rhetorical question of who can separate us from the love of Christ. And he says in verse 37 of chapter 8, in all of these things, these instances, these circumstances that come our way, he says we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Loved us. 
him who loved us. And then he says in verse 38, I'm convinced of this thought. I'm convinced of what I am going to tell you. That not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, not powers, not heights, not depths, no other created thing is going to be able to separate you and me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, the most amazing of words Paul pens at the end of chapter 8. He says with full assurance, convinced that absolutely no one, absolutely nothing, verse 39, will be able to separate you and me from the love of God. I want you to note something there. It's not our love for God that's so important in Paul's mind. It's His love for you. It's His love for us. He loves us so much that nothing will be able to separate us from that love that He has for us, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that brings us to the second division of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is divided into three very definite parts. There's chapter 1 through 8, which is all about faith, the securance of your salvation, that you are a child of God, and you cannot lose your salvation. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are going to be speaking about the hope of Israel. I want you to know up front, and I'm going to say again, there are many commentaries that think that chapters 9, 10, and 11 are really almost an add-on by Paul speaking about Israel of whom he is a part of it. And many of them wonder why did he tuck chapters 9, 10, and 11 into the gospel of the book of Romans. I want you to know it is clear why he did it. And I will show you in a moment. And then in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, it is all about our duty, our love of Christ, which compels us to serve Him. You see, that is, in my opinion, first and foremost, why God wants you and me to be so assured of our faith that nobody will be able to rock us, to move us from where we are and who we are in Christ. So that when the opportunity comes, and an opportunity will come in all of our lives to serve the Lord, <clears throat> that was weird, <laughs> to serve the Lord, we will serve Him joyfully, understandingly, knowing that He will supply what needs to be done if we are just willing to serve Him. He loves us that much. And I'm, I'm convinced that the book of Romans is all about that. And I am even more convinced that that's what Paul was explaining further in chapters 9, 10, and 11, talking about Israel and bringing Israel into the picture along with the Gentiles. I'm going to show you. In, in chapters 1 through 8, Paul puts salvation first and foremost. Why? Well, we were, we were taught clearly by Paul in chapter 3 and verse 23 that the entire human race was lost. It says in chapter 3, verse 23, for all of us have sinned. 
and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Then Paul picks that thought up in chapter 6 and verse 23, and he says, since all of us have sinned, and all of us fall short of the glory of God, the wages of our sin is what? Death. Then Paul comes with the blessings of great proportions at the rest of chapter 6, verse 23, saying, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has made salvation available for any one of us on the basis of faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, nothing, verse 39 of chapter 8, nothing is going to be able to separate you or me from the love of God, His love for us. Not necessarily our love for Him, because that might wane, but His love for you and me never wanes. He is the same yesterday as He is today as He will be tomorrow. And so nothing will be able to separate you and me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, which leads us to chapter 9. Now I want to pray before I get into this, because it is amazing to me how many commentaries kind of push back against chapters 9, 10, and 11. And I got a chance to read it, and I got a chance to study commentaries of those who, who really trust in the Word of God, trust in going through it line upon line, word upon word. And chapter 9, 10, and 11 make great sense when you look at it without an agenda, but wondering what is it that Paul is trying to say, not just to the Jews, because he is addressing the Jews. And, and look at chapter 9 for a moment. Look what Paul, look at, his, look at his concern. What I'm going to do this morning is give you an overview of these three chapters because there is such a pushback from some about them. Paul says in chapter 9, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I mean, can you not sense his great passion that he is reaching out to the Jewish people at this time? He says, my conscience bears bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and in a ceasing grief in my heart. And then he comes to the third verse, which is a verse that I cannot fully comprehend. I don't know if there is a person on the face of this earth that I can with sincerity and honestly say verse 3 to. I don't know. Paul says in verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ. Do you understand what he is saying? He's saying that I would wish that I would go to hell, be condemned to hell forever for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Well, he is passionately, folks, reaching out to the Jewish people. But as you're going to see with me, it's not just the Jews that are being reached out for in this, in this section of Scripture. 
It's for all the people who have rejected Christ, all the people who have denied the very essence of who Jesus Christ is. And furthermore, verses 9, 10, and 11 want to assure all of us who come to faith in Christ that we are secure in who we are and who He is within our lives. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are just an addition to the assurance of what Paul just preached in the first eight chapters of Romans. So let's pray about it. Father, please. Well, first and foremost, thank you, Father, for Rob Selleck and, and David Briggs and what a wonderful job they did in preaching the gospel the last two weeks. And I thank you so much, Father, for giving me safety on the trip so that I, I could come home and be with these people that I love more than life itself. I pray that you will bless us, Father, as we study your words. Thank you so much for Paul. What a man of God. I know, Father, he was inspired by you. He wrote only what you offered for him to write. But still, Father, he had tried with all of his heart to live out what he believed. And I pray that, that each of us here would be the same. That you would give us the ability to live our lives faithfully, Father, to uh, reach out on your behalf to those we may come in contact with. That you would, Father God, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. That we'd see the seriousness of our faith, the seriousness of church, the seriousness of, of what we do and, and, and who we are and what we believe and those that you allow us to come in contact with, Father. Whether it be here or in Belize or anywhere in the world, wherever you might take us, maybe to the corner marketplace, wherever, Father. And so open up our eyes so that we can behold these things and then, Father, give us the encouragement of our faith that we would walk faithfully in what you've placed within our heart of hearts. So, Lord, I thank you for these people here. I, I love them more than life itself. I just thank you for bringing me home safely. And now, Father, will you bless us as we study your words. Make sense of these chapters that some say are, are difficult. On the contrary, Father, I, I believe that they fit very, very clearly with your word. Help me teach it in that fashion, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it's important that, that you and I know that many teachers treat chapters 9, 10, and 11 as if it has little, if any, connection with the rest of Romans. Um, some say this is a very, chapters 9, 10, and 11 is a very unfortunate interruption in which Paul is expressing his concern about the condition, the spiritual condition of, of the people of God. And he jumps off to talk about his people, the Jews. Look how this fits. You can see that why they might think this. Read with me, look at chapter 8. Look at the last couple of verses, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, as we've already read, I'm convinced, he says, neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing is going to be able to separate you and me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jump now to chapter 12, verse 1. 
I urge you, therefore. It fits. It, it absolutely does fit. Chapter 8, verse 39 fits perfectly with chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, and here's where he gets into presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be, he says in verse 2, conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Therefore, with a clear conscience, some interpreters feel that the central message of justification by faith, which Paul just really hammered home in chapter 8, and the assurance of our salvation, which he hammered home in chapter 8, is simply interrupted by chapters 9, 10, and 11. We should, they feel, move directly from chapter 8, verse 39, to chapter 12, verse 1. It fits. But Paul needed to teach within the church, especially to the new believers in Rome who came to Christ, that there is some false teaching going on within the family of God, and it can and it will only draw away the faithful from the assurance of their faith and their salvation. Therefore, Paul did not want to continue after chapter 8, verse 39, on teaching on the justification of faith and the assurance of our salvation until he clarified some false teaching over which many Jewish believers and Gentiles as well were stumbling over. First, it would be good for us to recognize what were some of the falsehoods that were causing some to stumble in those days at that time. First, since the gospel of Jesus Christ offered salvation to everyone, to the Gentiles, the Jews wondered and some taught that God had forsaken the nation of Israel. He had put them aside. They no longer were important to God. He now was focusing in on the Gentiles. And false teachers came into the church and taught that the gospel given to the Gentiles implied that the Jews no longer had a unique place or a unique purpose in the plans of God, which is totally false. We need to understand that. There is a place for the Jew in this, in this age in which we live. Paul states clearly, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Here's his argument. You'll see it. It's clear. I say then, Paul says, God has not rejected his people, has he? In other words, God hasn't rejected the Jewish people, has he? That was the argument that some were making in the body of Christ trying to draw people into this whole idea that God was through with Israel. And Paul says, God has not rejected us. He answers, may it never be, in verse 1 of chapter 11. For I too am an Israelite. <clears throat> I too am a descendant of Abraham. I am of the tribe of Gen Benjamin, he says in chapter 11 and verse 1. And didn't Paul already teach 
clearly in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul wrote. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews what? First. To the Jews first, and then also to the Greek or the Gentile race. He also said the same thing in chapter 2 and verse 10. He taught glory, honor, peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentiles so that the Jews were rejected by God as anything but true. He cared for them first and foremost. Secondly, if the Jews first received the gospel and the glory and the honor and the peace of God, then why? Why did most of Israel, including her highest religious leaders, reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah? Why? And why are most Jews still un, in unbelief? And further, why is the chosen and blessed nation of Israel, who was given the law of God, who was given the prophets of God, not only rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, why were some still zealously persecuting their fellow Jews who had given their hearts to Jesus Christ? That was a perplexing thing to them in those days. It should be even to this day. So Paul will teach again and again and again of faith. He is saying it is because of faith or the lack thereof that the Jews are stumbling over the stumbling stone which is Christ. He mentions that. Look at chapter 9. We will come to it next week or maybe the week after. I don't know yet. But look at chapter 9. Look at verses 30 through 32. In chapter 9, Paul writes, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, in other words, they weren't God's chosen people. They weren't pursuing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What shall we say then, he says in verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness the righteousness he says which is what by faith note that it's important because look what he says in verse 31 but Israel Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law they didn't arrive at righteousness through the law of God we Paul already taught that the law could not bring us to salvation only faith could. So he reiterates that point to the Jewish people by saying in verse 32, let me read verse 31 again, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why, he says in verse 32? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They were pursuing it as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They missed Jesus Christ because his, his message was faith. Faith in me. Trust in me. Give me your heart. Follow me. And the Jews wanted to follow their traditions. I want you to read just a little bit more. 
forget, no, don't forgive me. Just read it with me. It's really wonderful. Look at chapter 10, going on after verse 33 of chapter 9. Brethren, he says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is for the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is saying, folks, it is not your works that will draw you to Christ or to God. It is not your being good enough that will make you righteous in the eyes of God. You must have the righteousness of Christ which comes only by and through faith. That's exactly what Paul is saying here to the Jewish people. Paul is trying to reach the Jewish people and all so-called religious folks, Jew and Gentile alike, by saying that both are saved through faith and faith alone, not works. We can't come to God that way. Therefore, the Jews must turn from their trust in their religious achievements, that is, their works, their heritage, their traditions. And somehow, through these things, Paul is pleading with the Jewish people, they have rejected the gospel of faith in Christ, their Messiah. Now, they relied on works, not faith. Folks, I don't need to go through the litany of all the religions that believe in works over faith. I mean, you go down the line. I don't mean that, I don't want to begrudge any particular denomination or any cult, but if you look at any and every cult, if you look at most denominations of religious people, they've got to work their way. Yes, some say you have to have faith, but others say along with that faith, you've got to do something. You've got to work your way to be right with God. And Paul is teaching us clearly, there's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do but have faith. And your faith, as he's going to present then again in chapter 12, your faith then should move you to honor and to serve the Lord. But to serve the Lord, to try to receive your faith, doesn't fit. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's He's hammering home even strongly, more strongly, the whole idea of you and me being assured, confident in who we are in Christ, not because of, of what we've done, but because of who He is and how much He loves you and me. And so it's not works, it's faith. Therefore, every single person on the face of this earth, Jew and Gentile alike, must turn to God by faith. For it is faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ that a person, regardless of their religious or, or, or national background or heritage, they must be saved. That's what Peter said in the book of Acts when he said, there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's the only way. So the question maybe is why? Why did God turn to the Gentiles? Now I, I tried this last night 
it, it didn't fly well. I was curious when I wrote this. I wanted to, a, a person who is brought up in a Jewish background that has come to Christ to raise your hand. And I asked that last night. Is there anyone here that, that came up a Jewish person and now has accepted Christ as your Savior? Same thing last night. I almost feel embarrassed. I wish there were some. But that also fulfills prophecy. Last night there was not a soul here that raised their hand either. Look at chapter 9 of Romans. Verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, in other words, so many you can't count, it is the remnant, that means the few, just the few, that will be saved. Hmm. Well, perhaps chapter 11, verse 11, will give you and me a clue as to why there are so few Jews who have come to Christ during this, the church age. I want you to look with me at chapter 11, verse 11. I want you to, say, to know this, though. I have heard and have read that there are many more Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah today. There is a great, greater number of those who are coming, which also fulfills the prophecy that we'll, that we'll read in a moment. But I want you to look at chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, Paul writes, they, talking about the Jews, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? In other words, they aren't lost. May it never be, he says. But by their transgression, in other words, their rejecting Jesus Christ, salvation came to most of us, if not all of us here in this room, the Gentiles. Why? Why? Why are we now so honored by God to be able to accept the message of Jesus Christ, which was first and foremost given to the Jews. Why are all of us here Gentiles, not a one single Jew, that now have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ? The end of verse 11 tells us. It's a very penetrating place in Scripture, if you'll read it correctly, to make them, the Jews, what? Jealous. Isn't that interesting? When I read that, I really pondered. This, when I was studying and I got to this place in Scripture and I got to this place in the study, I had to stop and I had to ponder, what in the world does that mean? I've come to Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Gentile. And my believing in Christ ought to make them, the Jews, and everyone else that I come in contact with, jealous. And so I asked myself a question that I will let you listen to. And I ask it now to you. Are you living, are we living a life that represents Jesus Christ and our faith so passionately that it would make anyone jealous? Like your kids. Or kids like making your parents jealous that you are so assured of your faith or your core workers, those you work alongside of, your peer group, those of, of you who are younger here, go to school, whether it be high school or college, anyone and everyone that you and I come in contact with, are we living a life with such blessings, with such passion 
that people want to be like you, like me, like us. Not realizing that to become like us would make them like Christ. When I was in Belize, I tried to keep up with the kids. I wanted to, I wanted to have more fun than anyone else on that trip. And so I, I had a problem with my knees anyways, but I, uh, I really, uh, it was a great thing. It was really good, but I blew this one out. It's gone. I've got to get it operated on. There's no two ways about it. I was putting it off, saying, it'll get better. I'll just give it a little time. Well, it's been about five years. And, it's, and, and when I was there, I just had so much fun doing everything with everybody. I just blew the thing out. I mean, it's, what one day, the first day we went out fishing, we went about 40 miles off of, uh, no, 40 minutes off of uh, where the resort was in, in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. And we, we, we got some, um, I don't even know much about fishing, but got little fish. What, what did we do? We, we trolled for little fish, we got little fish, put it on the hook, and fished for bigger fish. And, and, and all the kids were fishing, and my grandson was pulling in fish after fish after fish. He was having the time of his life. When we went home that night, the chef at the resort took all the fish that the kids caught and fried it and made fish sticks with, with French fried potatoes. And my, my, my grandson was realizing that he was eating the very fish that he caught. It was like such a great time. Well, when we anchored there, everybody it was really hot, and so they wanted to go for a swim. And so they're diving off the, the, the top of the boat, which was a pretty good dive. And I'm sitting there and saying, oh, what the heck? And so I, I had my bathing suit on anyways, and I got to the side, and boom, I dove in and swam around. And the, the current was quite strong, and I was swimming and swimming, trying to get back to the boat. And I got, finally got back to the boat, and there was a guy named John who I fell in love with from, from Australia one of the, the men that worked there with uh, Luke and his, his company, and he saw that I was really struggling. He came out, got me by my arm, and pulled me back to the boat. I, I think I might have drowned if it wasn't for John. And when I got to the boat, I was so happy. And then one of the guys named, uh, named Joe, his name was Joe, this police guy, this, this guy that helped us fish. He was the sweetest young kid, man. And he saw that I was struggling. He grabbed me by the arm, and I, I stepped up on the ladder to get up, and that, my knee just went, just just went. And it was fine, because I wanted back on the boat. <laughs> so, but I didn't stop. I kept diving in, kept swimming, kept having fun. And to which my son came to me and said, Dad, you don't have to go so hard. He said, but let me tell you what Dylan said, our grandson. He said, Dad, he says, I want to be like Papa when I get to be old. I want to have fun. And I thought, yes, that's exactly why I did what I was doing. I wanted my grandkids to have a memory of Papa just having fun. So we went out the next day, and we, we kind of did a lot of other things. And we were going to do a river, river ride with they have big crocodiles. We, Belize is right at the edge of the jungle. It's in the jungle, as a matter of fact. And there's all sorts of creatures there. And uh, there were crocodiles or alligators, I don't know which, one or the other, but they were I'm not exaggerating. When I saw, I saw one bigger than I could do this. I mean, they were big boys. And uh, one day Kay and I were swimming, and everyone went snorkeling, and we, we, they went around this little island we were on, and we, we, we realized we couldn't make it all the way around with them, so we said, we'll see you going. We went back to the boat, and we went back, no, the dock, and we got on the dock, and we were diving off, and she was laying in, this, in the water just floating. 
And we went away for a while and did some other activities and came back and we wanted to dive back in off of the dock and said, let's go back in the water. And he said, wait a minute, there's a big barracuda out there. And I looked down and sure enough, there's a barracuda just swimming around. And the guy that, that, that took everybody snorkeling says, I, he lives somewhere around here under the dock. We see him all the time. And Kay said, I was floating in that water. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, I couldn't have saved her. Anyways, we... Uh, we were going on pretty heavy, and, and I ran out of gas one afternoon. We were going to go on this river ride, and, and I asked if I could not go. And we were quite a ways back from the resort, and, and the guys that were f- serving us lunch during midday were going to go back to the resort anyways. And so I, I got to go in a, a big truck with these guys. And while I was in the truck, um, I, uh, I, I just had conversation with this young man, this this. Belizean man uh, who just got married. I, I asked him about his life and, and, and there was two other guys and they were listening in and I asked him about what is he doing with his life? And he says, I, I asked him, are you going to work for this company? Is that something you want to do for the rest of your life? And he said, well, maybe, but he says, my father, I just got married. Ah, congratulations, I said to him. I said, uh, tell me about it. He said, well, my dad gave me two cows for our, for our wedding gift. And my dad is a rancher, he said. And he said, my dad told me that any time I wanted to bring my cows to his bull, he would allow me to uh, use his bull for making more cows. And maybe I'm going to become a rancher. And so from there, we, we talked about other things. And we had about a, a close to a, an hour's ride back to the, the resort. And I, I started sharing, uh, do you church anywhere? I mean, I, I couldn't help myself. I asked him that. And, and he says, well, I'm not, you know, I don't know about religion much. And he asked me back, do you? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I, I, I have a wonderful church that I attend back home in, in California. And I said, you know, I said, you can have all the cows in the world. And I said, you can be the biggest rancher in the whole country of Belize. But without faith, you have nothing. I said to him, I said, what is it? I said, what is it? render a man if he gains the whole world and, and loses his soul. I said, have you ever thought about that? So we were talking about faith and we talked about faith most of the drive home and about uh, understanding Jesus Christ and I kind of shared my testimony how Christ is so important to me and I, I told him that he ought to consider him and find a church where he can go to that teaches about him. I asked him, are there any churches like that here? And he says, I don't know, but he says, I'll, I'll, I'll look. I said, yeah, I said, it'd be great to raise your family, your kids, with an understanding of who God is. I, mean, I tell you that story for, for this reason. That night when we were at dinner, my daughter-in-law, who uh, I adore, said, Dad, what is it you did this afternoon? I said, what do you mean, honey? She says, well, what did you talk about on the way home from, uh, from where we were? And I said, well, I told Doug about my faith and she looked at Rebecca and Luke and she said I told you he would talk about Jesus Christ and I thought my family knew that I would do that there was no doubt in my daughter-in-law's life that she knew that her dad would present Christ to anyone and everyone he could. 
And I felt a sense of pride in that. I felt a sense of, of living a life with such a blessing that, that people see Christ. So from that day forward, we were there another four or five days. Doug would always come to me and we'd talk about faith. Are we living such a life with such a passion that people want to be like us? Not realizing that in being like us, they will become like Christ. If in fact, we are so assured of our faith that we walk confidently with Him. One day, hopefully in the very near future, the words of Zechariah, the 12th chapter, the 10th verse, will ring far and wide. You see, God has not given up on Israel. He never will. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, I will pour out on the house of David, of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, in other words, all the Jews, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that when they look at me, talking about the second coming of Christ, whom they have pierced, they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And then Isaiah speaks of this very moment, saying in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, they will come to Christ, the Jews will, in groves. That's why it's so exciting to me that people now, Jewish people now, are coming to Christ in bigger numbers than any time ever before in history. They're saying, I don't know if that's true or not. I can only say I read that. But Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12 tells us they come from the four corners of the earth to faith in the Messiah. You see, God's plan from eternity past has always, always, always been the same. That Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ today in the church age is both partial and temporary. It's not forever. Paul knew, though, that he also had to answer a question that would be in the minds of the Gentile believers as well. And the question is, if God did not keep His promise to His chosen people Israel, they therefore wondered, can we expect Him to keep His promises to us, the Gentiles? You see, it goes to the very core of our assurance of our faith. And that's what the false teachers were teaching in Rome that Paul wanted to stop. No, God has not given up on the Jews. May it never be, he said. No, God has not given up on us Gentiles. May it never be, he says. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us to have an assurance of our faith that runs so deep within us that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And once he settles that issue with you in your heart, once he settles it with the Jewish people who are hearing false doctrine, then he wants you to go to, verse, to chapter 12 and verse 1 and to serve the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's what he wants. I, it's plain as the nose on my face, and that's plain, folks. He wants to move the people to be assured in their faith so that they know that nothing will be able to separate them from the love of God. 
These questions and many more are to be answered in these marvelous chapters of 9, 10, and 11. You're going to enjoy chapters 9, 10, and 11. I guarantee you, you will. Whereas some teachers want to push these chapters aside, you're going to find them so rich that you'll wonder why anyone didn't want to study them. They're marvelous. Let me close with this. Turn to chapter 11, please. <clears throat> Paul was so taken by what he wrote. You see, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was hearing, he was hearing the wonderful words that he was saying, and he ends this section of Scripture in chapter 11, verses 33, 34, 35, and 36 with a majestic prayer. A prayer of praise and thanksgiving to our God. And so I'd like to end our service with this prayer. Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 33 to the end of it, verse 36. I'm going to add these words, Our dear Father. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of you. How unsearchable are your judgments. How unfathomable are your ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to us again? No, Paul writes in verse 36, or he, he prays, prays in verse 36, For from our God, and through our God, and to our God are all things. O oh, to you, O Lord, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this time, this opportunity to be back home. I miss these people more than life itself, Father. I want to thank you for allowing me to be back safe with them. I want to pray that you will bless us, Father, as a body of believers, that we will be so assured in what we believe and in whom we believe that we will be, Father God, a, a people that make other people jealous of our faith. Not jealous in a sinful way, but jealous to want to know our God. And so, Father, may we be a people who reach out to those we come in contact with. May we trust you, Father, that you love these people far more than we do, and you want them to come to Christ, and you will use us, Father, to make them jealous. I might add, Lord, only, only if there's reason for them to be jealous of the way we live. Rather, not to become like them, but hopefully to make them to become like us and therefore becoming like our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His most precious name that we come here, Father. It's in His most precious name that we give you thanks. Father, I, I want to tell you out loud, in front of these dear folks, I love them so much. It is so good to be home. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, thank you. Amen. Amen. Have yourself a great day. God bless you. Thanks for coming back.